Welcome to the founders of Web3 series by Outlier Ventures and me, your host, Jamie Burke. Together, we're going to meet the entrepreneurs, their backers, and the leading policymakers that are shaping Web3. Together, we're going to try to define what is Web3, explore its nuances, and understand the mission and purpose that drive its founders. If you enjoy what you hear, please do subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission that is Web3. Welcome to our Founders of Web3 podcast. Today, we've got Michelle Shetty of Wazirx, and hopefully I pronounced that right. It's a great privilege to to talk to you and, and hopefully gain your perspective, both as an entrepreneur generally, and then specifically navigating the world of, of crypto in India. So thanks for joining me. Glad to be here. And uh, thanks a lot for having me on the podcast. So what I want to do is to kind of start with your journey as an entrepreneur, as the title suggests, um, founders of Web3, is really trying to meet the people that are driving that movement forward. And, and clearly, you are one of the leaders, emerging leaders globally, but also within India, which is a huge market with huge potential. I think We've all been kind of waiting on the sidelines to see what happens. And obviously there's been some really interesting developments there, which I can see you're, you're taking advantage of. But first, it'd be good to understand your background a little bit as an entrepreneur. As I understand it, you are a serial entrepreneur. You are uh, Forbes 30 under 30, which I'm always very jealous of. I only get invited to judge these things nowadays. Sadly, there's not uh, uh, something that's gonna reflect my age. And prior to Wazirx, which was founded a couple of years ago, you uh, set up a number of different startups kind of focused on social media and web two, um, as I understand it, just unfollow and crowdfire. So it'd be good to understand that journey and how you ended up uh, where you are today. Sure. Uh, it's, it's been about 13 years since I've been you know, uh, either working in a company or doing my, running my own startup. The first uh, few years of my career started as a software developer and uh, I joined a regular corporate job for about two years till I realized that that was not for me. It was too slow, I, I realized, and uh, the tech wasn't really, you know, uh, I would say new. I always wanted to try new stuff. So I moved over to a startup in India that was very similar to how the Yelp is, uh, like a restaurant review startup yes. yeah and uh, that uh, you know really gave me the insights and understanding of how startups function how uh, they really are rapid in terms of uh, going to market and development and everything and that and what stage really was really what stage of startup was that when when you joined so they had just gotten acquired but uh, and they were like the most popular in india uh, when i was joining but they got acquired pretty early so it was a small team of about i think 20 25 people when i joined them uh, and I joined them just a month after the acquisition. Um, right. So I got to work closely with the founders and the founding team. That's where my learning began. And soon after, since I understood that you could build products, I, I ended up building uh, Just Unfollow, which was on top of the Twitter API. This was the early days of Twitter, you know, uh, 2010, when Twitter had just launched their APIs. And I thought I should build something. Just to scratch that itch, I launched 
just unfollow and uh, it surprisingly went viral uh, the main reason was because michael arrington happened to be one of those first people who tried it and he listened, <laughs> and he wrote about it on techcrunch and back then if you if you got your product on techcrunch that was it you know uh, people went crazy about using the products after that and uh, uh, it started growing organically and it reached a point about i think 8 months into my job where it was paying me more than my uh, my job was paying me <laughs> significantly more you know like uh, i was making more money in a month than i was making in a year in my job so so what do you do when that happens you quit and that's what i did so i would say i'm, I'm an accidental entrepreneur just got into it because i was pushed into it uh, by my users and um, after i quit my job i st- uh, made another friend of mine who's my co-founder quit and he joined me and then we started uh, scaling the company and, uh, and that's Samir or Siddharth? That was Samir. And so he was the one who joined me first. And uh, then a few months down the line, we realized that the name Just Unfollow was more, uh, I would say, uh, constrained in terms of what we did. And that's why we rebranded to Crowdfire. So Just Unfollow became Crowdfire. And uh, uh, we started building this into a social media management app. And then we raised about, uh, just before we raised, I think uh, Siddharth, my third co-founder, joined us. We were a, still a small team, about five people back then when he was joining us. And he had a different startup. So we were all friends. We all knew each other. And we were like, how do we all get together and build something bigger rather than, you know, working in silos uh, on our own products. So that's how us three co-founders got together. And uh, then we raised okay. money for this uh, for this product. It uh, grew, we grew to about 10 million users. But during that time, on, in parallel, I was looking into cryptocurrencies, understanding decentralization. And that was a really fascinating world for me uh, because I was here, I was building on top of all these centralized APIs. And there I could see all these decentralized ones where you don't need permission, you know. Uh, so so that's how I eventually ended up building Bazira. And my and, same and, co-founders joined us. In this. And Crowdfire is still going today or? Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it has a separate team. We we moved out of it when we were starting Vazirex. So there's a separate team that's running Crowdfire. It's a good SaaS business, I would say, which is um, growing healthily year on year. Interesting. So, I mean, I, I'm also slightly envious of the idea of having you know, three co-founders to kind of share that that burden with, especially if you start out of friends. And But obviously that has some challenges as well. I mean, what are the pros and cons of three friends being co-founders? I think, uh, should I start with the cons? I think the con is... If, if, if <laughs> Get the worst out of the way first. Yeah, yeah. If something goes wrong, you know, your friends, you guys have to, I would say, have certain level of uh, understanding that, you know, you might fuck up things and that's fine. But how do you tell each other? It's never easy. I mean, if you have a strictly professional relationship, it's really easy to point out, you know, hey, this is not how this has to be done or, you know, this is not right. So I think one of the problems we found is how do you communicate that effectively without it affecting your uh, friendship or your personal relationships with each other. But I think uh, having worked, we now have worked over, I think, eight or nine years together. So you eventually learn how to deal with it. Our, our rule was simple that what happens in our work meeting, we forget it the moment the meeting is done. As in how we all spoke to each other, how we all pointed out our flaws, we forget about that after the meeting is done and work towards making ourselves better. So I think that's working out well for us right now. You've got a, you've got better friends than me. <laughs> so the pros, I think the pros are, uh, again, I think the same thing is a pro that you are friends so you can 
completely trust each other to uh, not worry about each doing their own jobs. Like I can just focus on my work, not worrying about what my co-founders are going to do because I believe and trust that they're going to do their part of the bargain. You know, like whatever jobs are divided, we all do it without having to worry about each other. So that sort of breaks down your efforts. Uh, you're a true team there. You don't have to take all the burden on your head alone. So that's been really, uh, I would say, the biggest pro of working with co-founders and friends. So yeah, I think I'm a big believer that alone you're just going to achieve maybe X with uh, you know two or three more people as co-founders. You're going to do much better. Yeah, and I guess if you have you know that intimate understanding of one another, it's easier to work around one another's weaknesses and strengths. So um, you can perhaps have a, a more honest dynamic and, and perhaps have the comfort to be more honest about your own weaknesses where, you know, if you're, if you're building a company with people that start out as strangers, where the relationship might be a bit more strictly professional, you know, th- there is always this, this tendency for a lot of founders to, to, to try to mask over weaknesses, failings, to try to take on everything. So Absolutely. And, uh, you know, when you have friends, you can always ask them to work more than usual. <laughs> that works. <laughs> yeah. So you said you were an accidental entrepreneur with the, in the first instance, uh, what came to evolve into Crowdfire. But clearly when you moved into, you know, this next venture, was Xerox, presumably this was intentional, what, what is the difference between being an accidental entrepreneur and being pulled out of you know, job security and starting a project intentionally? And, and kind of when did Wazirax shift from presumably something that you managed to convince your co-founders to experiment with on the side and perhaps could have been perceived as a distraction to the main thing? I'm, I mean, I'm assuming it's the main thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the... The biggest difference I've seen between being accidental versus uh, planning it out. On a lighter note, it's a name. You know, when I started my first product, I just named whatever just because I wanted to launch it. <laughs> and then I had to rebrand it. While uh, Wazirx, we really thought hard on what the branding should be, what the name should be, such that in India, it, it becomes a recognized brand. And uh, now when I look back, we've done a pretty good job of branding it uh, as an Indian exchange. The other thing is you also have sort of a plan when you you know intentionally launch something and if things fall into place you realize your speed when you plan and then execute is far greater than when you are accidentally getting into it where you do not really have a long-term plan or vision of what and how you're going to build it i think the speed matters so if you start something well planned and intentionally and if things fall in place your growth will be much more rapid at least that's what i've seen in my two ventures. The way we've grown with Wazirx in India, you know, that was all planning and then the execution rather than execute and then figure out why you did what you did. So how do you navigate? I mean, I've been in, let's just say the the, the blockchain space generally for over six years now, I guess. And both as an entrepreneur myself, but of course, much more focused on backing other entrepreneurs as an investor. You know, being an entrepreneur generally is is really difficult. It's really challenging. There's so much uncertainty and unknowns. But you know, when you add in the complication of of crypto and Web three generally, because it's such an emergent space, but within that, you know, specifically crypto and digital assets and all the regulatory 
uncertainty that goes with that. How do you how do you plan in that? So you know, you, you said you kind of had a much more a stronger direction, presumably around the product. But how how do you plan in in such a complex and dynamic space? If we were talk about regulatory, I would say honestly, you just can't. If you look at what happened to us, we launched and within about three weeks, the central bank in India came up with a banking restriction or a banking ban, as as many call it, uh, where we were not allowed to have a bank account. So you cannot really plan for regulatory challenges. But the good thing is in crypto, you do know there will be regulatory challenges. So what you can do is assume what are the worst that can happen in terms of regulations and probably be ready for it. Uh, that's what we did. We knew that there were no regulations in India. It might happen. Our worst case was there would be a complete ban and then you have to you know, just wrap it up or maybe uh, move to a different country and launch it there. That was uh, the idea that we discussed among ourselves. And that was a definite, you know, I, I think, a threat to any business in this space in India, at least. So we, we had that in mind and then we launched. We, uh, to be honest, we never anticipated it to be an in-between stage where the the regulations not killing your business, but the banking ban is affecting it such that you your business can die. And we nice. saw that happening to other exchanges in India. Uh, but when we launched, we had this focus that we'll build the best product and we'll do whatever it takes to ensure that Indians are able to be involved in the blockchain and cryptocurrency ecosystem. So when you have that mission in your mind that you want to onboard all the Indians into this new technology, into this new space, uh, you do whatever it takes. So till it was not illegal, we knew that we will keep trying. So when this banking ban happened, <laughs> we kept trying. You know, we said, "What do you do when you don't have a bank account? You do peer to peer," and that's what we did. So it was not like a big worry for us. It was in fact a challenge that, and as guys who love building products, I think we enjoyed that whole uh, situation. On how do you innovate in this situation? Now it was a great challenge for us. So uh, we were not demotivated. We were like. You know, how do you solve this? We just have to solve this. There was this itch. And I think uh, that helped in us uh, because uh, while the other exchanges were shutting down, we were growing. So the banking man helped us a lot, I think. And now it's gone. So it's even better. <laughs> we are growing even faster now. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, I've, I've seen lots of different approaches taken by startups based upon a couple of things, actually. Normally the risk profile of the founders, but also the risk profile of their shareholders. And so even if you have entrepreneurs that are happy, personally happy to innovate at the very edge and operate within a degree of uncertainty. And of course, uh, in some instances, you know, that has been communicated that it's potentially a criminal uh, pursuit rather than necessarily something, uh, it's, it's a dangerous for the individuals rather than the commercial entity. So, I mean, I'm assuming that you had either no shareholders and you boot, bootstrap this yourself, or you had shareholders that bought into the vision or, or shared your risk profile, what, which was it? So in our case, uh, for uh, Vazirx, we did not have to worry about shareholders, though I do have uh, shareholders in my first company. But I would say the even if there were shareholders, as entrepreneurs, I think it's our responsibility to ensure that we clearly tell the shareholders about what you're getting into. But if you scare them too much, you know, they're not going to be by your side all the time. So I believe personally, you give them enough information to ensure that they understand the risk, but not 
go too deep where you know like if you're going to go to one of your shareholders and say hey look uh, it might get banned in india tomorrow and we might want to have to shut down and i think that's great but if you say but there might be an a possibility there would be criminal charges that the government might press against companies in this space i think that's just unwanted fear being developed because you know that you're not in a, a truly illegal space you're building something that's uh, uh, right now legal in the country or at least in the gray area and it's not something that you're illegally you know doing anything right now or you're you're not being fraudulent yeah, yeah you're I mean, you're you, not being so then you know you, you, you know you're a good actor you know you're exactly. a good actor i guess so exactly. you take confidence in that right so i would say you have to worry let's say if you your idea was to have a frivolous ico and maybe make some money and then figure out what to do with that money or whatever versus you know you are building a product you are going to deliver something good to the audiences you're going to help the country in that whole technology at least this is my mindset i'm talking about where when i was building this was what was going on i was not getting in there to be rich overnight i was not getting in there to you know just uh, dip my hand into something that is amazing everyone's going in and getting rich let's go in it was more about tech it was more about india participation in this tech um, you know not enough companies in the blockchain space that is what i was looking at in india back then even now not enough people in the blockchain space here how do you be one of those early movers in this space so when that happens your conscience is clear i don't think you have to worry too much you know in terms of uh, your shareholders and all they get it after a while so i mean i definitely want to go into that that mission because clearly you know you, you do have a very clear mission around what i'm assuming is inclusion but but just before i go into that what about the other shareholder group so the other important shareholder group family i don't know if you have children but i assume um you know family is is very important to you how did they how did they respond to you innovating at the edge of uh, this gray space in crypto i think uh, for me my family has always been supportive they were in fact more worried in the first time i was doing this and you know after a while you just uh, assume this is a new normal so me wanting to build something new or trying something new in the even in my previous company we tried a couple of products and it's not worked they failed so these things happen all the time and for them now this is a new normal they'll be surprised if i don't do something <laughs> so i think uh, <laughs> the first time they were all worried when i was quitting my job for the first time and that's why i said i'll quit my job only when i was making more money than my job was so that was like you know still a comfort zone for everyone around me i guess so they were more worried about the the job stability than necessarily yes. that you were working in crypto exactly all right <laughs> um well it sounds like you've got good friends and family so you're you're, you're definitely winning in life so uh, let's go into the, the mission a bit because clearly you have been uh, presumably one of the ones that has been pushing and advocating for a more either relaxed or positive attitude towards crypto in india why is that what is what is it that motivates you uh see look at when i look at decentralization i see that this is one of those innovations in tech which probably is a world changing initiative i look at the last few decades i look at computers changing the world then you look at internet has changed the world your mobile phones have changed this seems to be one of those events which is a creation of a decentralized world so that's one part from a tech point of view it excites me a lot that i am at the beginning stage i would still say we are at the initial stages of the decentralization of the internet 
And, and why is that important? Just to kind of press upon that, because I know we we always, as an industry, always talk about decentralization a lot. And uh, and I think a lot of people still struggle with, you know, why that's important versus a, a friction point. If you were to ask me, I'm just tired of, you know, asking permissions to use, uh, build on top of products. That's been my uh, biggest the problem. The APIs. Yeah, yeah the APIs. Yeah, I'm, right. I, I'm just uh, tired, not just personally, but I've seen tens and hundreds of products being killed by the platforms on top of whom they were built. This, I've seen this happen time and again. You name a platform, I will tell you at least five to <laughs> 10 good products that were killed by those platforms because either they thought those platforms thought these products were not good or they wanted to make money. So they had to kill these uh, third party products. And I don't believe this is how they should you know, work. The internet was not supposed to be where there were some monopolies which would allow you to build when they wanted and kill you when they wanted. I don't think that yeah. should ever be possible on the internet. Now but that's really interesting. That's that's really interesting point because I was going to mention earlier when you said that the uh, un, just unfollow was based upon a, a Twitter API. So a actually, my journey into this space is not too dissimilar from yours. I, I set up the first European uh, kind of social media consultancy uh, way back. I was one of the first people to bring uh, Facebook and, and Twitter into a number of ad agencies in Europe. And so I, I saw a lot of innovation happen around the edges of these platforms and yeah, rights revoked to APIs whenever one of them became remotely successful. So that's a really interesting perspective as a developer. You know, you, you look at, you know, rights and access to, I guess, users, data, APIs. It, it's that form of uh, centralization that motivates you to, to kind of remove these, these monopolies. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, at, at the core, I'm a developer. And when I look at the internet, I think it would have been much more better if people had no fear of building what they wanted. But there exists a fear today. And I think in the decentralized world, that fear goes off. And that excites me about what are the possibilities when this happens, you know. It's just that I think we're still not uh, there yet because we're still in the infrastructure building phase. There are tons of ideas that come to your mind, but you can't build it because there's not enough infrastructure possible for those ideas to emerge today. But there will be a time when all of these ideas will be able to, you know, execute on top of a decentralized ecosystem. So yeah, yeah. that's what excites me the most. So it's interesting because... Uh, my my natural assumption and perhaps prejudices prejudices would I would have expected you to say inclusion financial inclusion you know including India and Indians in the ability to participate in in crypto as a as a financial asset especially given you know your your background as an exchange it's, it's interesting to hear that the primary personal motivating factor is, is, is actually much bigger than that. It's, it's kind of generally around a decentralizing the web. Right. So the, the inclusion part is the, yeah, that's the second part that I was going to come to is where let's say this world becomes a reality, that whole decentralized world with their, its own set of decentralized protocols and stuff. The early movers who hold these assets would be the ones who would be benefiting the maximum and if that reality has to happen i believe that indians should have the opportunity to be the early movers as well to participate in this you know a decentralized world by holding the assets that they want which is what led me to build wazirx eventually uh, because i wanted to make sure that if anyone in india believes in this vision of a decentralized ecosystem then all of these protocols would have their own tokens 
and if you believe in any protocol probably you know invest in it but how do you invest easily it was hard in india so that's where i built valira so so recently you announced a joint fund with binance 50 million dollars equivalent to invest in the indian um, blockchain crypto ecosystem backed by bnb and uh, your own token and that came 10 days after that announcement anyway came 10 days after uh, the bank of india removed a ban and uh, uh, relating to crypto so it would be good to understand the kind of sequence of events there firstly if you could explain for the listeners what that 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 news was what had changed what it made possible and then really how that partnership came about and then we'll go into a little bit about the investment thesis and what you're hoping to achieve sure so uh, to give a bit of a background this was in april 2018 when the central bank of india said uh, exchanges and all the crypto businesses should uh, they will not get access to banking in india and uh, we immediately we as few of us exchanges as part of uh, uh, an organization here we put a case against this uh, order by the central bank of india to prove that we are legitimate businesses and we do need access to bank accounts and in, after a year and a half of uh, fighting the case in the supreme court on the 4th of march 2020 is when uh, we won this case and uh, that was a moment of uh, occasion for india because now all of us in the crypto space we can all have bank accounts as soon as this happened to answer your question about the fund so we always wanted to have a fund for india but the biggest limiting factor was the fact that if you start a business in the crypto space in india anything you want to build you cannot have bank accounts and it made no sense to uh, start new businesses in the crypto space in india during this period which is why you wouldn't see any startups emerging in india during this uh, banking ban and um, now that the banking ban was lifted we knew that there would be entrepreneurs who would want to build for the crypto and blockchain ecosystem but how do you help bootstrap that sooner than later because uh, you know you know the typical investment world it takes time for them to understand the ecosystem and then probably earmark some funds from their uh, invest for their investments and all in this space but we wanted to do it faster and uh, binance really moves fast to be honest so uh, when i uh, uh, it was not even me a couple of people within binance who said hey why don't you you know start a fund to bootstrap the ecosystem we'll put in half you put in half i was like fine let's do it and i thought it might take time but the next day they were like we are all ready with the documents and stuff and let's do this so so i said okay we'll do it and, and so it was i think the fastest uh, time I, within 24 48 hours they were ready with everything and probably partly because they already have this uh, bnb fund for uh, startups around the world so it's more like i think it's templateized right now on how do you quickly launch a fund for a country so yeah right. we did that and um, i think it's a good move because uh, as entrepreneurs when you want to build you just don't need money only money you can still find it you also need expertise and you need people who will understand you know you don't want to go to a presentation to vcs and first have to tell them why decentralization what is crypto what is blockchain you will never even start your slide for about your product then so i think if you're building early i think uh, people who understand this ecosystem raising from them is better which is why i think uh, our fund uh, helps in that aspect uh, quickly we can understand your business and we can also help you in whatever way you want 
So yeah, it's just to help bootstrap the Indian uh, blockchain and crypto ecosystem. Yeah, and I'm not surprised that the speed of things. We're, we're quite close to Binance, and and they definitely uh, move very quickly. And actually, I can see some parallels between CZ and you, and in, in certainly in how you interact with your community on Twitter. You're very responsive. Um, you know, technically solving problems for them uh, real time. So. Um, with the fund, the kind of thesis makes sense. You're kind of focused on on off ramps, wallets, so kind of the the infrastructure that's going to enable things, primarily from an exchange perspective, and then naturally uh, you're looking at use cases in, in DeFi, in, including stable coins. You do say apps, uh, DApps as well, but I'm presuming that's initially still going to be much more focused around you know financial services and uh, that domain. Yeah. I think uh, right now we need to enable the whole infrastructure development. Like you rightly said, whatever is needed, eventually I think more we'll see more of dApps in different aspects. But right now, I think we're uh, more interested in all the uh, infrastructure development around the whole decentralized world. So anyone's got any idea. I would love to see some protocols coming out of India. You know, I think we're all open for investments in any of these aspects. Well, we should definitely talk offline about how we can collaborate on you know, acceleration in India or of Indian startups. As you say, you know, capital is, is just one element of it. I think clearly having entrepreneurs as investors is, is going to be really helpful, especially somebody like yourself who's navigated the complexities of that landscape at all levels. So you're deploying uh, into both equity and tokens, 100K USD up to uh, 5 million tickets. Presumably the latter will come uh, later on as you're kind of following on. And as the ecosystem matures, you're also looking to support uh, students, set up incubators to, to develop talent. I mean, clearly India's always had very strong development talent. And certainly in the context uh, of, of things like you know, mathematics and STEM and, and solving very complex technical problems, I can imagine um, there should be huge growth in, in things like token engineering. But what is, you know, from my personal experience of engaging and trying to engage with the, the startup ecosystem, the crypto startup ecosystem in, in India over the last several years, it, it's not it's never felt that big. It's never felt like it was top of mind to most developers, especially those working in, in, in universities. Is, is that true? Is that changing? You know, what's your perspective on the level of even awareness of, of Web3 and Web3 technologies? I think uh, what you say would have been true a few years ago, but a lot has changed in the last couple of years, you know, because uh, I think the 2017 bull run really brought in a lot of awareness about crypto and then the curiosity on what it is on the part of uh, a lot of developers here to understand the underlying technology. So even though they were not really about the asset so much, about the price and all, but when they started seeing the word, you know, Bitcoin everywhere on all the press and stuff, the curiosity got them into blockchain now. So when I look at it today, a lot of developers want to be involved in blockchain de development in some form or the other and they're looking to learn and uh, you know start something but like i said the unfortunate thing is in the last two years we also had banking ban, and you do not want to be an entrepreneur who's going to start a business in an environment where you can't even have a bank account 
uh, how do you even pay salaries for people? How do you even do anything? Plus, there were no VCs investing. So you don't have capital as well. So I won't, I'm not surprised that though there is enthusiasm, there, there aren't enough, I would say, startups in India in this space yet. But the next two years, if we can, you know, I, I'm pretty sure we can turn this around. So that we'll have at least 100 to 500 startups in India in the blockchain and crypto space. Um, Fantastic. Well, that's I mean, my, you know, my view. That, that's it's. I mean, there's just clearly huge potential there. And as you say, now some of these roadblocks have been removed from an administrative perspective. And now there are, you know, successful entrepreneurs like you as role models and now kind of recycling that wealth and, and feeding it into the ecosystem. I think it's a really exciting moment. And I, I speak to startups from, from all over the world. And for example, I spent a lot of time the beginning part of last year in, in the Balkans and the Baltics in kind of you know, Eastern, Southeastern Europe. And it was quite interesting that they suffered from a lot of scams during the ICO mania, of course, OneCoin probably being the, the most well-known. And actually, it had left, crypto become a really dirty word to any serious entrepreneur or developer. They just didn't want to be associated to it, even if they, you know, they, they felt there was potential in the underlying technology. It was just, it was very stigmatized. It, it, how how has India and the kind of association of crypto affected during that whole period? Yes, yeah, so it's very similar. So there was a large scam that happened in India uh, in 2017, I think, where a lot of people lost money because they invested in a token they thought was Bitcoin, but it wasn't. Uh, so I think uh, uh, there's also this uh, this BitConnect scam. I think a lot of Indians had invested in BitConnect as well. So they lost their money there too. But, you know, I, I see that as a pro, it's, it's the journey. It happened in the internet world. I was a victim of a scam online in my early days in, you know, uh, when I was first new to the internet, back when uh, internet was still in, you had to go to these cyber cafes and get access for 30 minutes, you could browse. I ended up ordering stuff online, paid it, and I never got that stuff. Uh, and I thought e-commerce was scam online. Uh, and it will never work. So that's the stage we were in right now here, where uh, people thought of uh, investing in cryptos and their investments uh, just vanished overnight. And uh, that's what we need to change. And that's why what you said in, previously, you had said that similar to CZ being uh, active on Twitter, I am also active. The reason being that we all have to see, I think there's only one Satoshi Nakamoto who can be anonymous and we can all uh, say that he has done a great job. But I think every other founder needs to be as open as possible to bring in the trust because we deal with people's money eventually or people have their money riding on the stuff that we are going to build. So we need to make sure that we are very open and communicative with our audiences so that they know who we are, who are the people. And unless you do not know that, I wouldn't suggest you putting your money into anything. You should be clear about who's building it. Uh, the background so that's, of the that's, that's really interesting. So, you know, you, you feel that more than any other industry as a founder, it's very important that you have unusually high degrees of visibility, openness, transparency, um, and kind of participation in, 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 the, in the wider community because of the kind of the, the, the shadow or the overhang of, of, of a general attitude towards crypto. You, you think that's uh, a greater obligation or requirement to kind of be in, be in the limelight. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, 
if you think about it, I, I read a news website and I don't know who the founder is. It's fine. What's the worst they can do? Give me fake news. And, you know, nothing more than that. But uh, if I'm going to put my money into a product where uh, I rely on that for the future and that founder is not known, they can run away and uh, probably ruin me financially. So I would say the degree of transparency that is needed in this ecosystem is much, much more than any other ecosystem until today. And uh, uh, founders who understand and you know figure that out, I think they're the ones who are going to succeed and they're already succeeding. It's just about being very open about what you're building, how you're building, who you are, who your team is, where you are. I think that's very, very important. And the first phase took advantage of this very fact of anonymity. And that's where all the scams happen. So I think right. that is changing now. And all of us have to together change it by being as transparent as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's ironic given that, you know, many people talk about this space as enabling a, a trust web. Or we talk about trustless technology, uh, but there's still the important role of the person and the individual. And, and actually, Lawrence Lundy, who's our head of research at Outlier, says, in an increasingly decentralized world, um, one of the only moats becomes you know, your brand and the trust that people have in the, in the team behind, behind a product. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I, I wish you all the luck in helping continue to grow the Indian ecosystem. And it's great that they have you as a as a role model and hero, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching your success continue. And I'm probably going to try and have you on at some point again. I definitely want to connect you to Joel John, who's um, one of our leading analysts who's based out of India uh, after this as well. Sounds good. And thanks a lot for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3.